Lord Jesus, we come to you humbly tonight, knowing that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, but Lord, you still bear the marks of Calvary in your hands, in your feet, in your side, on your back, on everywhere, Lord. You still bear the marks in your glorified state. And Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us at the cross. So Lord, tonight, bring our hearts home. Let tonight be the night that hearts come home and settle at the foot of the cross as we reflect on your great sacrifice. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And so God, just open our hearts tonight by your Holy Spirit. As I read these texts, give me words to speak, Holy Spirit. Give our hearts, hearts to listen what you'd have us to hear tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, you may have a seat, you may have a seat. Mm. So it's Good Friday. As I was sitting here worshiping, the Lord brought my mind to uh, Exodus chapter 34. And I want to start off with this passage tonight. It says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And to all that we say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for these wonderful blessings. But listen to verse 7. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Did y'all hear those two statements in there? There's two statements in there that are kind of, kind of a contrast. It says, he will forgive iniquity and transgression and sin, but he's not going to leave the guilty unpunished. You see, listen, hear me out all the way through this. It's not just enough to ask God to forgive you of your sin. Someone just asking God to forgive them of their sin does not forgive them of their sin. A sacrifice has to be made. And that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did at the cross. He, he forgives iniquity. Yes, he forgives iniquity. He forgives transgression. He forgives sin. But he says in Exodus 34, 7, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Somebody has to pay the price for sin or God is unjust. But we know God is just. So what did he do? He sent his son to take on the punishment for our sin at the cross. What a beautiful, glorious thing. Friends and family, if you're trusting in Christ, if he is in you and you're in him, you are completely forgiven. You are completely forgiven. So tonight, as we look at these last three statements of Jesus on the cross, understand that this is his amazing love for you. This is his love. This is his compassion. You know, that, that we were lost in our sin, but Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity is at work in, in salvation. The Father sends the Son, the Son makes a sacrifice, the Holy Spirit comes in us, and we become born again. It's an amazing thing that God does when he saves 
a soul from hell, when he saves a soul from the penalty and the consequences of sin. So, Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, tonight as we look at these statements that you made from the cross. And, Lord, we love you. And um, tonight we pause uh, before our celebration on Sunday morning and we reflect on the cross. And specifically looking this, morning, this evening at the statements that you made from the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And in addition to that, in addition to that Exodus 34, you find the fulfillment in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, God the Father made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus was the propitiation. He, he, he took the penalty for our sin. He is our sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they brought their lambs, they brought their goats to the temple, to the, to the, um, to, for a sacrifice. When we stand before God, our sacrifice is Jesus, the Lamb of God. So no word uh, Christ ever used was useless and vain or served no purpose. Every single word that he spoke is full of wisdom and truth. Last Sunday, we looked at the first four. They were found in, the first one was Luke 23, 34, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And we looked at this Sunday. If you weren't here this past Sunday, go back and look at our YouTube uh, service. But we saw um, this is the heart of Christianity, forgiveness. This is the heart of the Father, reconciliation. And Jesus is on the cross, family. Think about it. Put yourself there. He is on the cross praying for those who crucified him. I don't know about you, but when somebody does me wrong, one of the last things I want to do is pray for them. But that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God on the cross. The second statement, Luke 23, 43, truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise. We really broke that one down Sunday. And we talked about heaven. We talked about to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We talked about paradise, heaven being a place of no sickness, no disease, uh, no suffering. Uh, this is the statement that he made to the thief. Um, this is the statement he made to the thief on the cross. This proves the doctrine of justification by faith. That, that thief had no time to do anything religious. He had no time to go to church, partake of communion, or do anything. All he did in the moment was place his faith in Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus looked at him and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. We're saved by grace, of, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, the third statement, John 19, 26, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son to John, behold your mother. I love this statement because it reveals the heart of the Savior in his earthly ministry that he was taking care of mom. He was taking care of mom. And what does this st statement teach us about God? That God is compassionate. God is loving. God is caring for his children. We, you friends and family, you're like sheep. And he's the shepherd. And what, is it, what does a shepherd do? He takes care of his sheep. And that's the same thing the Lord Jesus Christ does for us today here in this life. The fourth statement was from, found in Matthew 27, 46. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This goes back to Exodus 34, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where the ultimate reason Jesus came to this world was to pay the price for our sin. To be, this, to be the atonement, to be the propitiation, to be the one who would forgive us all of our sins, 
by the sacrifice, by the shed blood that he shed at the cross. What a beautiful thing. And this, was the, this is the moment many scholars say that, that the, the, remember the, the eternal Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, for all eternity, they had been in perfect fellowship, perfect love, perfect community, perfect everything. But in this moment, we believe the Father and the Son were separated as the Son took on the punishment for our sin. And we can say because of this statement that this is why we say, this is the statement you, when you say, Jesus died on the cross for your sin. This is one of the statements he made on the cross that points to that. So tonight, we come to the uh, fifth statement. The fifth statement Jesus made from the cross is found in John nineteen twenty eight, And it says, after this, Jesus knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. After this, this is after he had bore the wrath of God, after he had paid the price, after he was completely exhausted and spent completely to the, to the uttermost, he, he says, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. What is happening here as Christ says, I am thirsty? This statement, uh, think about it, I am thirsty. This statement speaks of Christ's humanity. You know, he was 100% God, 100% man, and in his humanity, he, 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 is, um, he, he is, as the end draws near, Jesus is crying out for physical relief. He felt the pain. He felt the sorrow. He felt the pains of, of living the human life experience. The very next verse after John nineteen twenty eight says this, uh, a jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. You know, although Jesus was God in the flesh and, and, and he was eternal God, but in his physical body, there's not but so much the body can take. There's not so much that the physical body can take before it finally just dies before it's exhausted, before it comes to, to an end. And here, Jesus is spent, completely spent. The physical suffering that he is enduring is extreme. And it's so extreme, as we know from the text, you know that what happens after this, is so extreme, the suffering and, and of it all is that uh, he's near death. He's near death. He, he's, 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 he's fixing to... Give up the spirit. Um, if you've studied the cross, if you've studied all four gospels, you'll know that, uh, that Christ was offered a uh, drink twice. I don't know if you knew that or not, but the, the, the four gospels, you put them together, he was offered uh, a drink twice. The first one is found in Mark chapter 15, verse 23, where it says, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Mark informs us in, gospel, in the Gospel of Mark that this was at the beginning, but he rejected it. But the scripture said they put it up to his mouth, but he rejected it. Why? Because he didn't want no type of relief from the pain that he was going to experience by enduring the wrath of God. Christ endured the full suffering with no narcotics or, or no relief 
from pain. That would take away from his mission. That was, you know, uh, when he was a little boy there in the carpenter shop with Joseph from his inception through all his ministry, there was one focal point for the life and ministry of Jesus in his 33 years, and it was this very moment. It was this very moment as he was dying on the cross. So he wasn't going to partake of any narcotics or anything that would relieve the pain. He was going to endure it. And why was he going to endure it? He was enduring it for me and you to bring you and I back into a right relationship with God. This also, this statement, I am thirsty, was to fulfill scripture. Psalm 69 verse 21 says, They also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. You know, if we didn't have the, praise the Lord, we have the four gospels. But if we didn't have the gospels um, of the New Testament, you could put almost all of Christ's ministry together from the Old Testament prophecies. From Psalm 22 to Isaiah 53 to Isaiah 55 to Genesis chapter 3, the, the whole entire Old Testament was pointing forward to the Messiah and to his sacrifice. His, his, his uh, crucifixion is given in great detail in Psalm 21 and 22. So Jesus, at every moment of his earthly ministry, he was just fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling prophecy. In everything he did, uh, in all of his aspects of his ministry, he was fulfilling prophecy. He was, he, he was a statement to all the Old Testament believers and the people of the first century who knew the Old Testament scriptures. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that has come to fulfill all the scripture. It's, I find it interesting. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he announced in, in his ministry, he says, if, if anyone was thirsty, he would what? Give them what? Living water. That's found in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 38. Up on the Temple Mount, he says, Now on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood, cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So the very one that offered the living water, that offered to quench their thirst, is the very one that's now thirsty and suffering and being spent. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen says, my strength is, uh, this is another prophecy concerning Christ's death and, and, and uh, this, the physical aspect of it is Psalm twenty-two, fifteen says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death. A potsherd is a dry or cracked up pottery and his he says, my tongue cleaves to my jaw and you lay me in the dust. So this was ultimate. This was all the way. A, a person couldn't get any closer, and, and he's going towards death, but he was there at the very brink of the of most severe suffering there was. The sixth statement, the sixth statement comes from John nineteen thirty. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, what? It is finished. It is finished. 
What is happening there when Jesus makes the statement, it is finished? This is a proclamation of victory. The sacrifice was complete. The atonement had been made. As an Old Testament lamb was consumed on the brazen altar of the Old Testament, so Jesus was consumed on the altar of Calvary. Testelestai, meaning completed, finished, um, paid in full, completely and forever. The doorway of salvation is made open for people to get saved through the cross. We know that when he died on the cross, the temple veil was torn. What's the purpose of that temple veil? That some scholars say was six inches thick, 30 feet across. It took horses on both, chariots of horses on both ends to stretch it. It was so big, it was torn in two because the way to God was now open through the blood of Jesus. And it wasn't just limited to high priest. It wasn't just limited to the high priest on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. But now it's available to all of us, to all believers, as we come through the sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross. Looking at some Old Testament scriptures that pointed um, to this finished work at Calvary that Jesus refers to. It is finished. He's made a way. There is no other way. This is the only way for people to be saved. All other religions are false religions. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, because there's only one cross and there's only one blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says, I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Uh, At the cross, not only did he make a way for salvation, but he also destroyed the works of the devil. So when a person repents of their sins, puts their trust in Christ, God strips Satan of his power and, and gives, uh, sets us free, and he breaks the bonds of sin and the yoke of slavery that, that, that we uh, partake of before we become a Christian. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Satan's, through, through the cross, through, through what took place on this Good Friday a long time ago, Satan's strongholds are destroyed. Satan's strategies are destroyed. Satan's wicked plans are destroyed through the cross. They are destroyed, and and, and the chains are broken through the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, uh, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So it says, uh, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed Satan and the demons and all the rulers in the heavenly places. This word disarm, you know, uh, this is what a police officer does to a bad guy, okay? When somebody breaks the law, they do something really bad, they get pulled over and they get arrested, what happens? What does a police officer do? Well, the first thing he does is if the criminal, if the bad guy has a weapon, he removes it and he frisks them. He checks them, make sure they have no guns, no knives, no weapons, nothing that could do harm. 
Then he takes them into custody. He takes them to the local sheriff's department. And what do they do at the local sheriff's department when you get arrested? Hopefully none of you guys know. <laughs> I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> but uh, hopefully none of you guys know. But uh, they process you in. They take you into a room. You strip down butt naked. And they put you in a jumpsuit. Because what they are doing is they are removing everything from you. They, they are removing everything from you. They are inspecting you. And they are putting you in a cell. And they are removing you from your identity as a citizen. And you are now under arrest. And then, finally, you're placed in a jail cell. You're placed in a jail cell. That's what happens when a person is arrested, when a person is disarmed. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the cross, disarmed Satan. He took all of his weapons, he stripped him of his power, and he put him in his rightful place. And when you and I, Christian, as trusting in Christ, as trusting in believers, we, he, we are removed from his dominion, his power, and his influence. Why? Because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity that comes and dwells inside of us. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he, at the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. All those evil powers out there, that are against you. He has disarmed them by the cross. And I believe we partake of that victory when we trust in Christ and when we surrender our life to him and we're truly sincere in following them. He's triumphed over them. So that's the sixth statement. It is finished. Let's look at the final statement. The final statement comes from uh, Luke twenty-three forty-six, where Jesus says, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. This is just a beautiful, beautiful statement. This is a beautiful statement that Jesus made. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Here we have the eternal son committing his, his spirit to the eternal father. You know, Jesus is co-eternal with the father. He is the second member of the Trinity, but yet Jesus in his ministry, in his earthly life, and even in his heavenly life, I would like to say, he is trusting in his Father. He's trusting in God the Father because they have this perfect relationship. They have this perfect relationship. And here at the end of the cross, in Luke 23, 46, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, um, Jesus from the very beginning of his earthly ministry he was committed to the Father's plan. He was committed to the Father's plan. I like to say, this is a little slogan I like to say, before the inception, before Christ came into this world, born of a virgin, that I like to say, the Father in heaven turned to the Son and said, Son, it's showtime. And the Lord Jesus stepped up from the throne of heaven and came down to earth and was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. So there's this, there's this perfect unity in the Trinity. There's this perfect unity between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's this perfect unity and trust and cohesion of all of them working together. 
And he says, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, when we think about the hand of God, we think about the sovereign, almighty hand of God who is in complete control of the universe. He rules, he reigns, and he is the ultimate authority. And the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth, in this, in this intense, difficult hour, you know, um, I don't know how to explain it. You know, do, do we look at it from his complete divinity side, which you can? You know, he was the eternal God the Son. Do you look at it from his, his, his earthly side? Because we call it the hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man. As, we, as you read certain texts in the scriptures in the New Testament, you have to ask, you know, some of the texts are coming at it from an earthly perspective. Some of the texts are coming at it from a heavenly perspective. What perspective was this coming from? I think it was coming from an earthly perspective. I think it was coming from an earthly perspective and that the son in his deepest, darkest hour, as he suffered at the cross, he was trusting in God the Father. Amazing statement. Jesus died as no other man had ever died. Um, the Persians created the process of crucifixion around 300 years before Christ. It was, it was brought into existence. The Romans perfected it. And in the first century, when uh, Roman crucifixion, it was used as a way to deter people from breaking the law. This was Rome's way of saying, hey, you, you break this law, this will be what happens to you. We know that he died on the cross, a place called Calvary, a place called Golgotha. That's called the place of the skull. Many commentators say, uh, I read one church father, I forgot his name. I read where one church father said in the third century that the place of Golgotha, it, it was a place of darkness. It was a place of death. And there were skulls littered everywhere. So when we see these pictures in religious art of this beautiful rolling hillside with green grass and these three crosses, as much as I love those pictures and they're beautiful, I've, I've got some on my computer. But actually, it wasn't like that. It was a very dark place. It was a very dark place that Jesus went to for us. But again, Jesus died as no other man had ever died. In one sense, in, in one sense, Jesus was murdered at the hands of wicked men there in Jerusalem, at the hands of the Roman soldiers, at the hands of Pontius Pilate, at, at the hands of the, crowd, of the crowds that said, crucify him, crucify him. In another sense, another angle that scripture gives us, he was sent by the Father and he was crushed by the Father to be our sin offering. And now he's saying, Father, I trust you. I trust you. But yes, the Father, from eternity's perspective, Jesus' divine mission the Father was crushing the Son to pay the price for our sin. So that's, three, that's, that's the, fir, the, the first sense he was murdered at the hands of wicked men. The second sense, uh, he was crushed by the Father because that was the plan from all eternity. And the third sense, Jesus gave up his life. He gave up his life willingly for us. This comes from John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. It says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. 
No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. The commandment I received from my father. What kept Jesus going there when he was being flogged with the cat of nine tails, when they were putting a bag over his head and they were punching him and he couldn't see and they were saying, if you're the Messiah, prophesy, tell us who hit you. Who's, what kept him going? Because I don't know about you, but I start feeling pain. You know, I start looking for an escape route, you know, because I don't like pain. But, but what kept him going? He was uh, flogged with a cat of nine tails. Y'all have seen the movie The Passion with Mel Gibson? I, one of the things when I watched that movie, um, I had to go back and read my Bible. And I had to go back, I have to admit, Mel got it right a lot. He got most of that movie right. But he went through a lot through his, his flogging. Then the, then the Via Della Rosa, as he carried the cross, the chains that he was bound through throughout that Thursday night after his arrest and into the day. What kept the Lord Jesus Christ going? He was suffering at the hands of evil men. The father was laying on the son, the iniquity of the world, but also Jesus' love for you and me. The Lord Jesus Christ, in his omniscience, had Greg on his mind, had Dina on his mind, had Jose on his mind, had Jana on, on his mind, had me on his mind. In his omniscience of deity, it was his love for you and me so that one day we could experience salvation. That's the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. And here's the, when you and I come to the cross, um, when you and I came to the cross, what was, what was needed for our salvation was taken care of at the cross. And when you first put your trust in the cross, not in your works or your deeds or whatever, but when you first put your trust in the cross, this is what God did for you. He transferred you from darkness into light. And here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the amazing, awesome thing about it, is salvation is a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There, there's, there's no amount of works. There's, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do for it because God did it for you at the cross. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Lord Jesus, on this Good Friday night, Father, I pray that uh, you, you cause our hearts to get low, to get humble, and to reflect on the great sacrifice that you made for us at the cross. Lord, help us to um, esteem the cross. Help us to hold it high and help us, Lord, to get low as we remember your great sacrifice for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that as the scripture says, according to the scriptures, you died for our sin. And now today, each and every one of us stand here before you forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice at the cross. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name.